This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. So go, go with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Please. Galatians, we're going to be moving through this word rapidly. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I believe God is bringing about changes in our lives, if we let Him. And I believe the majority of you want God to change you. Change is not a, it's not an exciting place to be. Change is, is hard. It's hard on the flesh. It's hard on the ego. You thought that you had it all together and you didn't. Amen? You know, shucks, we didn't. You thought you were such a spiritual hot rod, but man, I'm not. Apart from him. So when we talk about character, character is who I am. That's what character is. You know, the guy says, what you see is what you get. Sometimes you don't like what you see. Sometimes you like what you see, and I don't mean because of the visual impact. It's because you have an understanding. There's a person I can rely on. Speak to the guys that were in Vietnam working together with... with, with uh, um, with the troop, with the squad. You never wanted to have somebody behind you you weren't sure of. That's right, that's right. I mean, you wanted somebody who was battle-tried. Right. You want to know this guy's been under fire because you, you, don't want, you don't want a guy who's fresh off the heap. <laughs> okay? You don't know what he's going to do. You want to know that, hey, there's somebody I can count on behind me. I don't have to turn around every 10 yards and make sure the guy's still in formation. That's right, that's right. See? That's character that we need in the body of Christ because I want to be able to trust you. You need to be able to trust me. You need to be able to trust the person next to you. You need to know that what God is doing in one member of the body, His purpose and design for the entire body is that it comes to the fullness of what Jesus is. No individual will have that. God didn't design it that way. He is the head, we are the body. Many-membered. But each one of us have a call, but each one of us are to be characterized by the things that characterize the head. Love. The, the fruit of the recreated human spirit is love. That's it. Now, out of love is spawned joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faithfulness, temperance, and all the rest, byproducts of that love. And Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has already been shed abroad in our hearts as born-again believers by the Holy Spirit. When He came in and took up residence on the inside of us, He brought with Him everything that is God. Yeah. We need to get a revelation of that truth, not just in the area of, of uh, fruit, but in the area of authority. <laughs> this city's ours. Northern Virginia is ours. We were brought in by God for this time, this place, and this people. So, uh, character is who I am. Well, who are you? Who are you? You see, in Christ Jesus, I'm this, and praise God for that. But you need to know and get your mind renewed as to who you are. Do you have the love of God manifest in your life? If you don't, you've got to work on it. Because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Because He's resident there, God is love, and He lives on the inside of us by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is love, just like the Father is love. So you've got the love of God. And the love of God doesn't love because, in the majority of instances, the love of God is tested and manifest because it loves despite what it sees, despite the circumstances, despite what that brother does to you. You still love him. Have we reached that stage yet? 
my Lord, we've got a little bit of work to do in some areas. But as long as we're aware of it, we move towards it. And our declaration is, Father, thank you for the love of God that shed abroad in my heart. Thank you that it's manifest. And you and I, being branches connected to the vine, are to manifest the fruit of this in our lives. Not in a works program. Don't get into that. But my Lord, let's get into a relationship with the Lord where that is automatically manifest in our lives because of our connection to the vine. Joy is love's strength. Peace is love's security. Long-suffering is love's patience. Gentleness is love's conduct. Goodness is love's character. Faith is love's confidence, meekness is love's humility, and I'm going to talk about the last one tonight, temperance is love's victory. Now the word temperance that you find there in Galatians 5.23, if you have a look there, verse 23, it talks about meekness, temperance, right? It's a translation from a Greek word which means literally self-control. Self-control. It's derived from a word which is uh, in the Greek kratos, which you'll find, just swing across to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to teach on Ephesians chapter 1 sometime. Because I want you to know there is awesome revelation waiting for us in Ephesians. But if you have a look there, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ. Now you've got a number of words that are translated power there. Poor translation. I'm not going to get into it until the time comes when we'll get into it. But the last word, according to His mighty power... The word mighty is iscus, and it talks about God's kind of totality. Our kratos is the word from which we, uh, we get the word temperance or self-control. It comes from God. What did we read in Galatians 5.16? Walk in the Spirit. That opens the discussion and leads us into verse 23 where temperance is mentioned and if we are told to walk in the Spirit, it means we can. What is it that enables us to do this? This word kratos enables us to be self-controlled. God has provided His ability to every one of His children to walk in self-control. You can't walk in self-control unless you're walking in the Spirit. That means in the Spirit realm. We're going to touch on this in a minute or two. See? And it's this power that enables us to accomplish the things that we read about in Galatians uh, 5, verse 24. What does that tell us? And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the what? And lusts. They've crucified it. How do you crucify the flesh? You can't, flesh can't crucify flesh. Flesh gets crucified because the power of God to do it is available to you and you draw on that strength. Most people are trying to bring themselves under control and they're trying to do it naturally and you cannot control the flesh from the flesh. It's impossible. See? But the wonderful thing about it is that God has provided His children with supernatural seed. And the supernatural seed of the strength and self-control are already on the inside of it. You can do it. You can be self-controlled. Now, understand this. What we're talking about tonight is not self-improvement, all right? You, you can't do this yourself short of His power available to you and drawing on that source, it can't work. But you've got to do it. And as I was thinking and pre uh, preparing this uh, earlier today, uh, the Lord gave me an illustration. 
And he said, so many of my children are like the person that goes out and gets a gym and gets the weights and gets the program and puts it up on the wall and says, I've got everything there, but never uses it. Well, you don't derive any benefit until you sweat. Some of those joints are going to hurt. Some of those muscles that haven't been stretched for a long time are going to scream in 48 hours. But they don't scream unless they get put under pressure. Unless they get exercised. And you see, we can go along and teach all of this, and you can derive no benefit unless you take it and you appropriate it. So you can have it in your place, you can put it up on the wall, you can have the charts, you can have the understanding, but unless you apply it to your life, you don't derive benefit. Now turn with me to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, would you please? 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm starting to read at verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. And every man... I can't even read it. Sorry, guys. There you go. My standby. Praise God. Thank you. Um, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. This is the way that I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, this is very important. I want you to see verse 7 says in the King James Version, I bring my body into subjection. And the word there used for subjection is the same word that is used when you have a slave driver. He hasn't just got the people enslaved. He's got them at his mercy and he is doing with them whatever he chooses to do. And Paul is saying, that's the way you've got to learn to treat your body. You've got to be, you the spirit man, have got to be the slave driver. You've got to make sure that that body does what you, the spirit man, recreated, filled with the life of God, wants to do. Have a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, would you? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23. I know that you know the scripture. But you see, in the context of what we're reading, I want you to realize that until such time as we exercise what we've just heard, you never experience verse 23 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of the Lord. What am I to do? I'm to bring this body into subjection to the will of God. Some people have got, this body's the earth suit. It's the only one you're going to have in this world. It's the vehicle in which you travel. And if you abuse it and you don't look after it, it will die before it's time. And Paul is saying that is not what God wants. God wants you to look after your spirit and your soul and your body that it remain in a condition without blame until the coming of the Lord. I don't believe he's talking eschatologically. Because some of us are going to meet the Lord before he comes back to the earth. That's right. Yeah. See? But when I go, I want you to know something. I want to go with a body that's healed and whole. This is stewardship. Not just time, not just money. My body. It's stewardship. Feed it right. Exercise it right. Do the things that you know needs to be done. And uh, you'll be in a body without blame at the coming of the Lord. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, would you please? 
And I want you to have a look again at verse 27. Because he uses another word over there. He says, I want it to be um, without blame. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. He says, uh, but I keep my body... Uh, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be, and he uses a, a, re- a really interesting word, a castaway. Now some people have built doctrines on this, about you miss it, you're dead. God, you know, what happened to the love of God? What happened to forgiveness? What happened to the dispensation of grace? I mean, what happened to all those things? No, man, because you, listen, how many of you missed the mark today somewhere along the line? You know, on the basis of what they teach off this verse, you're gone. You know, you should be out in the world enjoying yourself because there's no hope for you. That's nonsense. We, we, that just shows the, the, the limit of the, the understanding that that person has got. The word castaway there is this word, unapproved, rejected, worthless, a reprobate. Now listen, before you get guilty. All right? Unapproved. For what? Further service. Doesn't mean you stop being a child of God. Doesn't mean you stop being a son or a daughter. But I want us to realize something. There's an aspect to the Christian life that we are not prepared to address in certain circles. And it's real. And it's this. You can't do what you want to do. You do not belong to yourself. You're bought with a price. And the purpose of your purchase is for is so that God will have a vehicle legally qualified to be in the earth with a body. We talk about demon possession. Do you realize the Holy Spirit wants to possess God's people? He wants to possess them. He wants you out of your mind. Yes. He wants you right out of your mind. Your mind's the biggest problem that God's got. Sin is not a problem. That's dealt with. Do you understand what I've just said? Because I wa- you've got to realize there's the part that God... What is it? You mean God disqualifies? No. My actions disqualify me. My non-compliance with God's will disqualifies me. God doesn't sit there and say, disqualified, qualified, disqualified, qualified. No. My actions, my response to His ministry into my life If I choose not to go God's way, God doesn't approve of that. But the fact I've chosen not to go with Him and His plan does not change His purpose and His plan. He'll find somebody else who'll get into the shoes and get blessed. Are we breathing? Barely. (laughs) Heard that one before. Okay? So you see, uh, if you have a look here, what have I got to do? I've got to bring my body under. Under what? I can't get out there and just run rampant because I want to. Because my hormones are running rampant, I can just do what I want to. You can't. You don't belong to yourself. Because your mind is running rampant, you can't open your mouth and just let rip because you just feel you have a right. You can't. We're talking temperance. We're talking self-control. Oh, well, I wish the Lord would remove this from me. He has. The devil can't hold you there. He's made provision for you in actual fact to experience the other end of the spectrum. But either you're ignorant of the fact that that provision is made or you've chosen to go along and vent your spleen. You're out of control. When you're out of control, you're not in the spirit, you're in the flesh. Amen? Okay. Now, you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Stay with it because we're going to have a look at chapter 10. (laughs) All right? I want us to realize that there are a couple of things that we've got to do. What race am I disqualified from? The Christian race? No. I'm disqualified from running the race for an incorruptible crown. 
I don't know what that is. I've got a few ideas. But whatever the race is that I've got to run, and it's my race, and I'm not running against you, I'm running against the circumstances of life. And I don't back out of it. I don't move away from what God wants because I'm aware of that. And I don't sit back and get into an idle uh, mode because things happen so quickly. You've got to stay awake in the Christian experience. How many of you have come to realize that? Do you know that you can backslide loving God? Because God moves. Alright, let's move on from there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, I, I don't want to... Perhaps I've got to do this. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. I'm going to read it from a version that I can read. If I can find it. Where, where, where are we? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There he's talking in this passage about the experience of the children of Israel. Verse 3. All ate of the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our example. Whose examples? Ours, right? To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, two more verses. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. Now, what are we talking about here? Here you've got a group of people, and watch the parallel of the Christian experience. They experienced the delivering power of God out of bondage. They were brought forth out of Egypt. And they were brought forth blessed. They didn't come out paupers. They were not only blessed materially, because we read that the Egyptians gave them their wealth in order to get them out. But they came out healed and whole. There was not one feeble one in all their midst. In addition, they experienced the provision of God, the fire at night, the cloud by day. He provided manna for them and water. They had protection of the Red Sea. Time and again, God manifest Himself to them. But watch this. They had no self-control and were overcome in the desert. Have a look there at verse 13 of the same chapter. It tells us, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There is no test that you experience that is not common to man. Nothing. That's the word tells me. And it tells me further that God's already made a way for us to escape the temptation. Doesn't mean you don't go through it, but how well are you handling it? The majority of Christians handle temptation and challenge out of their emotions and not out of their spirit. That's why they don't get it right. You are not an emotional being. You have emotions... But that's not what you are. You're a spirit being. And you and I as spirit beings need to draw the strength and whatever we need from the spirit realm. 
There doesn't make any difference what the temptation is. Temptation, the, the, the sin is not in the temptation. The sin is in the yielding to the temptation. What are you doing with that temptation? That's the nature and character of the God of this world who's arrayed against you. He wants to get you off your stand that, that you've taken uh, uh, by faith in God's Word, or if you stand concerning the healing of your body, the relationships of your family coming together, against the financial provision that God has promised you, against favor and all the rest. He's challenging you, challenging you, challenging you. And you have a bad time in your marriage, and what happens? Blonde next door goes and bathes topless, and you're watering the garden. What is, is that temptation? To the guy who wants to check it out, it's temptation. <laughs> Come on, guys. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, you got your whole marriage and your relationship with God and you wang that up against three minutes. <laughs> Inside the bait. Is the hook. Well, how do I handle temptation? Now let's move away from the things that are obvious temptation. What about, and we're talking here about self-control. What about the temptation to lose control? I just think I've got a right to express how I feel. Somebody been there recently? Oh, my Lord. You ain't got that right. The minute you start entertaining that thought, you're moving to a place where you're about to lose control. That's temptation. How do we handle it? You see, we think that temptation comes along, you know, built 36, 24, 36. Well, I hope not for you. You'd need some prayer if it was for you. In fact, you'd need deliverance if it was for you. But that's, to the average Christian who is established in his walk in the Lord, that's not temptation. But the temptation is, gee, I'm not, I'm not getting the regard that I feel I should be getting. I'm not getting the respect. Who do they think, who does that person think they are? Don't they know I've been here for three years longer than them? Come on. See, this is where the temptation comes in. And you and I need to realize that we are to handle all temptation the way the Word of God tells us to do that. And you can make a note of this address, Romans chapter 8 and verse 13. This is what it says, if I can read it. For you have not received... Now I'm reading the wrong one, I'm reading 15. For if you live after the flesh... The next three words say, you shall die. That's not talking physical death, you realize that. That's talking spiritual death. You want me to go around this again? If you do what? Live after the flesh, you will die. How will I die? Physically? Oh yeah, but I mean that's down the road. Spiritually, you're going to die if you live after the flesh. Because the reason that you're living after the flesh is because you're giving all your time to the things of the flesh. Have a look at what it goes on to say. But if you, through the Spirit, underline those words, because that's the key to living above the flesh. If you, through the Spirit, do mortify. That means put the sucker to death. <laughs> if you mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. You are to experience spiritual life. The this is the kind of life that Jesus was talking about in John 10.10. 10. That's the kind of life that the Greek expansion calls life of a superior quality. And the majority of Christians never get there because the majority of the Christians do not put to death the deeds of the flesh. 
Why do they not put to death the deeds of the flesh? Go to Galatians chapter 6, and I'll give you the answer. See if the cap fits. Don't try and make the cap fit if it doesn't, all right? But if it does, let the Spirit of the Lord minister to you. Okay? Why do most Christians, why are they not able to put to death the deeds of the flesh? Why is it that they never experience this life superabundant? Why is it that they hanker after it and never seem to achieve it? And in verse 8, you've got the answer. For he that sows to his flesh shall out of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows out of the Spirit, or to the Spirit, shall out of the Spirit reap what? Life everlasting. Or the Greek says, life without boundaries. Now, this is what Christians don't do. They are not sowing enough into the spirit man. They're sowing more into the, spirit, into the flesh than they are to the spirit. You have the spirit man alive on the inside of you because you're born again. But there is a part of you called flesh. God created you with a will and the right to exercise it. But when you exercise your will against God's will, the Bible calls it flesh. You are setting yourself up above God. And it's called flesh. Now when you sow to that part of you, the flesh, that word tells us that you will out of that experience reap death. But if you sow to the spirit man, you will out of the spirit man reap life without boundaries. Now, if you want to experience life without boundaries, you've got to make a decision to sow to the spirit and not to the flesh. You will either feed the spirit or you will feed the flesh. And whichever one you feed the most is going to be the strongest in your life. So when a person is unable to overcome, is not able, and I'm talking about on an ongoing basis, I'm not talking about uh, an occasional lapse, I'm talking about on an ongoing basis, can't progress, can't get ahead, constantly is ha- you're sowing to the wrong thing in yeah. your life. Because when I sow to the Spirit, this Galatians 6, 8 tells me, I will out of the Spirit experience life without boundaries. And if you're not experiencing life without boundaries, I put it to you, my brother, my sister, you're sowing in the wrong arena. See? Now, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You're being very kind tonight, but you're being very quiet. I don't really always like it. Sometimes I think that you're falling asleep. Okay, now... If you have a look there at verse 6, verse 6 says, Now these things were for our example. Okay? As you, the following verses, verses 7 through 10, you have listed for you four areas of the lust of the flesh which overcame the children of Israel. They were overcome in these four areas. And they're listed for you in verses 7 through 10. Number one was idolatry. Number two was fornication. Number three, believe it or not, was tempting Christ. And number four was murmuring. Murmuring. Now, the first function of this fruit of temperance in our lives, the purpose for its existence. Now remember this, it's all on the inside of us. We are the ones that bring forth the fruit. We water it. We cause it to grow through exercise. Every opportunity you get, you'll be, you'll be challenged. 
And how you handle the challenge determines the growth that's taking place. Don't ask God to give you a special anointing. You've got to learn to handle the Christian life this way. So the first function of the fruit of temperance is this. To assist believers in overcoming, believe it or not, idolatry. Now, let's understand what idolatry is. In the Old Testament, God says to the children of Israel, you will not bow down nor serve them. And the word for serve there is the word obad in the, in the Hebrew. And it means this, to work. You won't work for them. You won't be enslaved to them. You will not be kept in bondage by the things that you worship, except me. So you're not to worship anything else because anything that you worship will take you into slavery. It will bring you into bondage. Now, not many believers today bow down to idols that, are, that you can see, all right? But the interesting thing about uh, what God is doing here is He's giving us increased understanding on some of the areas that have been hidden to a lot of us. One of them is Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. I'll just read it for you. I told you we're going to do a bit of a Bible study, but I want to read this to you. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. <laughs> uh, so that means your body. Okay? Then it goes on and talks about fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Now watch this. Many Christians today are tempted to serve whatever they come to idolize in their lives. Some guys worship golf. Can't do without it. Some guys worship their business. Can't do without it. Some people worship the pursuit of money. Can't do without it. Some people worship worldly acclaim. I've got to achieve. And their pursuit drives them, drives them, drives them. And it becomes addictive. They can't live without it. They are enslaved to it. And in actual fact, it takes them into bondage. I know, man, I know people who are so afraid of being poor. They are driven by that spirit of poverty to make money. And the interesting thing about it, you have a look at a person who's got money, and you'll know what spirit operates in them. There are some who are incredibly generous. There are others who will hold on to every cent. And you know what's making them hold on to it? A spirit of poverty. Spirit of poverty is not just in the gutter. Spirit of poverty sits in mansions. And there are people whose purpose on this earth, they've set it for themselves, is I'm going to have money because when I get old, I'm not going to be without. What happened to Jehovah Jireh? He got old. He forgot what his promise was. Not... Now, I'm not saying it's not good to plan for the future, but I want you to know, when that becomes something that you're worshipping and you're devoting all your time to, you're in trouble. You're serving it. See? Now, the penalty for that we find in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 5, and I'll read it to you. For this, know, uh, for this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man... Who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. That doesn't mean you won't go to heaven. Just means you'll never see the kingdom here on the earth. You'll never experience being able to walk into kingdom blessing. You can only possess what you see. <laughs> if you don't see it, you ain't going to get it. And that will keep you so sidetracked from getting the right picture. You will be pursuing that at the expense of the experience in the kingdom. 
You'll never inherit it. Okay? Now, here are some common ways that believers serve idols. Number one, through their actions. Number two, through their thoughts. And number three, by their feelings. And the degree of idolatry in the Christian life can be measured by the amount of time that is devoted to the things other than the things of God. How much time are you devoting to your gun collection? How much time are you devoting to fishing? Nothing against fishing in its place. Nothing against gun collections in its place. I was talking to a guy uh, last week sometime, and he's talking about how blessed he is and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I know his wife's got a problem with some of the stuff that he does. I don't mean he's doing anything dirty. I just mean he keeps upgrading everything that he's got. He's got to have the newest and the best of what it is. And his wife is left right out of the picture. Now, the message that needs to get through to this brother is this. If the two of you are in partnership, in marriage partnership, what you spend on yourself, your wife should have the opportunity of spending on herself. And that doesn't happen in a whole lot of homes. Oh, yeah. So what happens is he embraces it and it's his toy. Yeah. And he feels that he's justified in having it. And she doesn't have a toy. He is her toy. She doesn't want that toy. I think I must back out of this one. We'll, 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 we'll do <laughs> Have a look at Matthew. <laughs> Have a look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord said, use wisdom, Barry. (laughs) Verse 10, Then said Jesus unto him, Get then, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. Alright? Watch this. Worship and service can be measured as much by time as by effort and expense. Worship and service can be measured by time devoted to it as much as it can be measured by effort and expense. How much time do you give to worshiping the Lord? Don't look at your neighbor. How much time do you give to worshiping the Lord? And when the chips are down, God, I cry to you. And he says, keep crying. God never hears my prayer. How much do you worship him? That's right. That's right. Well, on Sunday mornings, I'm up there, I've got that tambourine, and ching, 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 it goes. I know how to get in the Spirit. I'm not talking about Sunday mornings, I'm not talking about Tuesday nights. How much time do you spend worshipping Him? You want me to talk about tithing for a minute? Why don't you tithe your time? Yeah. That's right. 2.4 hours a day before, I don't have that time. You don't not have it. That's right. You know, I'm, I'm a real good steward of my time, Pastor. Uh-huh. How many, what did you get out of your, your prayer time this morning? What did you get out of your daily reading this morning? Oops, forgot it. I was in such a rush. Have you noticed that every morning tends to be a rush? Now, I'm not suggesting it has to be a morning. It might be an evening. Okay. But how much did you get out of your quiet time the last time you had it? When last did you have it? <laughs> No, no, no. Okay, let's get out of that one because we now, now, now we've now we've gone to what is the word? Thank you. I didn't want to say it. I didn't want to say it, but I, I knew you guys had got the message. All right. We end up serving the provision rather than the provider, and I'll tell you why we end up serving the provision rather than the provider because we are not being temperate in all things, self-controlled in all things. Self-controlled in all things. 
Now, the second function is this. It's to aid believers. I'm talking about the second function of this fruit of temperance in our lives. is to aid believers in overcoming fornication. You know there's fornication in the church? Got real quiet, didn't it? Eh? Do you know that there are Christians going to bed with other Christians outside of marriage? That's right. That's right. This is always a hot button. You can get real quietness here in the church. It's like that half hour quietness in heaven. Silence. Because Jesus will stand on the throne and he'll say, Now all those who committed. <laughs> but, brother, I'm free in the liberty wherewith Christ has made me free. Listen to me. You are free to be what he wants thee to be. You are not free to be what you want to be. You mean it's wrong? I, I mean, I, I have. We were up in New York, as you know. And here we are, we've got a whole bunch of grunge kids giving them breakfast one morning out in the park. Stink like polecats. Stink. And uh, they've got nothing in life except their culture. The girl takes a guy because he represents protection for her. The guy takes the girl because this chick's built. And when the need arises, she's going to do some tricks out there to get money so we can support our dope habit. That's the culture. I have a look, that's what the world does. I have a look at it in the church. And there are people in the church who do not know that you are not to get involved sexually with people outside of your marriage. They think it's okay. There are preachers who think it's okay. If that weren't the case, how come some of the preachers have been divorced and married three and four times? Yeah. Now, I'm touching on some real sensitive stuff, but you see, we want the blessing of God, don't we? How can we ever call ourselves a holy people unto the Lord? Oh, Barry, you nearly slipped there. <laughs> I thought I was with John's group. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, no. But I want you to, I want you to realize something. You don't have any right to. And listen, young lady, if you're a born-again believer and that guy won't go out with you unless you're prepared to jump into the back seat, don't go out with him. He's not worth having. Oh, but he loves me. He loves me. Pastor, if I don't do that, he, uh, he, he won't go out with me. You're better off without him. I would hate to think if we took a survey how few people we would have who are still virgins. I'm talking about raised in Christian homes. That's right. And young lady, listen to me. When it's gone, it's gone. You can't put it back. And the vast majority of them give their virginity to a guy that they'll never see again after three months, four months. Well, you know, there's just an emotional bond. Rubbish. He promised to marry me, Pastor. You don't do a thing until that rock's on the hand. You make sure it's a substantial one and paid for. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise what he's going to do, he's going to go buy it on higher purchase, and you're going to get out and work for him once he's married to pay for your diamond ring. You make sure you say, I want to see the final receipt on that sucker. Now, look, I must move away here from fornication. But I want you to realize something. God expects His people to conduct themselves differently to the world. And that means in every area. 
Well, my wife went out and she had an affair, so I just went out, you stupid dummy. What happened to self-control? Well, I just don't know. That's your problem. You're operating out of the emotions. Of course it's hurtful. But two wrongs don't make a right. Let me go to Titus. Titus chapter 2. Aren't you glad you came tonight? <laughs> How many of you lied there? Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto some men. All men. All men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now we want the power, we want the enabling of God to flow, we want to see miracles, we want to see the people healed and put together, we want to see the power of the devil broken over people's lives, but in order to do that we need to realize that God has got certain requirements while we're living in this world. And he tells us what they are. And if you're not living up to that standard, don't expect to see what God is expected to do on our behalf. We are the sons of God. But God's got a lifestyle and a walk for the sons and daughters of God that he's expecting us to live up to. I'm amazed at the number of people who say, I'm not getting blessed. You keep teaching prosperity. And I've done this. I've tithed and I've given and all the rest. Okay, well, hang on, that's just a small little bit. Because let me have a look at the rest of your yeah. covenant commitment. That's right. Come on. Yeah. See? I don't tithe because I'm expecting God to produce something for me. I don't give because I'm expecting God to produce something for me. I do it because I am sold out to Him and He tells me to do it. And I say, yes, Lord, you're my source. And if I run out, you're going to have to find somehow to get something to me, aren't you? That's right. Take a breath. You're turning blue. We've got to understand this, folks. God's got requirements of us. God's got demands of us. And I'm not going to finish tonight. <laughs> the third function of the fruit of temperance is to aid believers from tempting Christ. Now, I had a problem with this. Because it's talking about Old Testament Israel and that rock was Christ, it tells me. And it tells me that they tempted Christ. Now, if I think of Christ as Jesus, I've got a problem. But if I think of Christ as the anointing, hello, I get some understanding. God has, the Father has anointing, I mean, you understand, separate from Jesus. I mean, Jesus is God in the flesh. But the anointing that he enjoyed was the anointing of the Father. You understand that? The Godhead, okay? Anointing is the ability to do what God wants to do. So God wasn't bound by, gee, I can't do anything, I can't exercise my anointing because Jesus is not in the earth yet. How do you think God parted the sea? It's called the ability of God, which we interpret as anointing. That's what we look to have come on the scene in order to minister to the needs of people. It's the anointing. The anointing is the ability of God. The anointing comes upon an individual. And we read here that they came against the anointing or Christ. See? Now, how on earth did they tempt Christ? And you can read this for yourselves. In Numbers 21, verses 5 and 6, this is how they tempted Christ. They tempted the anointing. And here's the principle. They spoke against legitimate authority. That's what they did. 
The children of Israel spoke against God and against Moses. And the Lord caused fiery serpents to come in their midst to teach them a lesson. Now, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20, you'll find that one of the works of the flesh is called sedition. Definition of sedition. Sedition is not an action. Sedition are words. Sedition is incitement of resistance to or insurrection against lawful authority. It's stirring up the people against lawful authority. I've been in the church long enough. And before this one, we've been here over 10 years. And before this one, back in the one that we were in South Africa, there is a spirit of sedition that's loose in the church. Uh, seeking and attempting to overthrow God-appointed and therefore lawful authority. And God doesn't wink at those things. You think you're getting away with it? He's going to put His heel on your head one day. And he'll say, this is for sedition. <laughs> now, he, I don't think God works that way, but I mean, if I were God, that's what I would do. <laughs> now, you see, the part of you that resists... Now, remember, God always operates in order and structure. The part of the Christian that resists submission to rightful authority is called flesh. But that is what this byproduct of love, temperance, is in your life for. Because it causes believers to put to death the deeds of the flesh. And one of the deeds of the flesh that needs to be put to death in the church is sedition. And when you put to death the, word, the, the deeds of the flesh, you bring your life into harmony with the purpose and the plan of God. And you will get blessed. If you ain't getting blessed, check out what you're doing. Well, brother, I'm tithing. Brother, I'm giving. Brother, I'm serving in the church. Well, let me ask you a question. How busy is your mouth? Hello? You wonder why you're not getting blessed. This applies in the family as well, the natural family. And you can go there and you can read it for yourselves in Ephesians chapter 5, 22 and onwards, right through to the first verse of chapter, one, of, of, of chapter 6. And it tells you how to operate. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands in the Lord. Husbands, you've got a responsibility. Whether you like it or not, you're going to have to love your wife and lay down your life for her just like Jesus did because that's His expectation of you. And you children... Obey your parents in the Lord. Honor them. Even though you don't agree with them. You're not asked to agree with them. You're told to honor them. That's the first blessing that comes along, or the first promise that is made, with blessing. You want long life? Honor your parents. Most children don't. Most children can't wait to get out of the house. They think their parents have got them in bondage. Your parents are doing just the best that they can. There are not many parents. There are some, but there are not many parents whose intent is to destroy the lives of their kids. That's right. Many of them don't know. We counsel them. We worked with them on the street the last week. You could just sit and you look at the despair in the eyes of parents because they don't know how to handle that generation. They don't know what to do. Many of them are bound by the law. I think Bob and I, I don't know, we, I think it, we, we were in a supermarket and there was a kid giving its mother, a little six-year-old, giving its mother what for? Because it wanted a what? What was that kid after? A what? A rubber raft. A rubber raft. What did a rubber raft? And this little, this little demon... <laughs> sat down there in the middle uh, and, and the mother walked away and he ran away. And she had to run after him. My attitude is, run. Run. Well, you know, he'll run under a car. <laughs> sure, we should be.
Well, we were thinking that, weren't we? Okay. We didn't voice it, but I mean, look, we were close. We were close. Now, don't, don't come along and say, oh, you hate kids. I love kids. But I want to tell you, that little demon needed its backside smacked. See? You take the rod of correction, and you apply it to the seed of learning, and you get results. Word of God says so. So in the house, there is structure required of God. And parents are never children, and children are never parents. And wife cannot be husband, and husband cannot be wife. Father cannot be mother, and mother cannot be father. And if we'll submit ourselves to what the Word of God says, we'll bring into order our families and get blessed. That's why we don't have blessing in our homes. Homes are out of order. Because the parents are told by the kids that the parents don't know what they're doing. Like the kids do. <laughs> Sorry about that. Like the kids do. Can I have three more minutes? The fourth function of fruit of temperance is to aid believers in resisting the temptation to murmur. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 10. I'm going to end with this point. I may carry on and put this onto another tape and then you can get the tape series. I was hoping to finish this, but it was just too much material. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 10. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. So God says don't murmur. What does murmur mean? To grumble. To grumble. You don't have any right to grumble. Tell your neighbor, we don't have any right to grumble. Yeah. Have you noticed that the grumbling, the grumbling comes, be, well, uh, uh, my, I, I'm grumbling because of my lot in life. If you don't like what you've got, change it. Yeah. You don't like what you've got, change it. What you are contending with are the fruits of the words of your mouth. Yeah. Right. Go to, get out there, we'll never make it. We will go under. I can't see. There will never be enough money at the end of the month. And when that happens, don't pat yourself on the back because you're prophetic. You're not. You've set a spiritual principle in motion and you got what you said. Don't tell me that principle doesn't work. This person will never come out of the wheelchair. That person will never get healed. He'll never get that job. You'll grow up to be just as useless as your father. You're setting in motion spiritual law. And when that happens, you'll get the fruit of that. James chapter 3 verses 6 through 8 deals with us. It talks about the tongue being the starter of the igniter of fires that run out of control just like that. Through murmuring, we're not happy with the leadership. Don't you know they should be doing this? Don't you know? Don't you know you'd know nothing? Seriously. You see, yeah, you've got the person... In this area of ministry, and they think, well, the pastor should be doing this, you know. Why did he make that decision? I just don't understand it. You know, he really should be doing this. No, 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 no. You're having a look at one little area of ministry. Here we've got all these areas of ministry, and you're wanting a decision to be made just for yours, like your anointing was so great. Come on now. That's why you're offended. See? He's got to make a decision concerning the best thing overall for everybody. It's not just that area of ministry. Now, that is important, I'm sure. But so is every other area of ministry. Well, why can't we just have that new equipment? Because that new equipment may well be needed over in that area of ministry where it is more needed at this moment in time than what you're requiring over here. See, I can get into a hundred different things that we can go through. But I want you to realize, that's murmuring. Now, if you've got those thoughts, don't voice them. Get before God and say, God, give me some understanding as to how to handle this. But the minute that you start speaking into somebody's ear, you're murmuring. You put yourself at risk according to the Word of God. Now, if you come to me and you say, Gee, please give me some understanding. Instead of murmuring against me, come and find out. I'll, get, I'll tell you what I can tell you. I mightn't be able to even give you an answer. It might just be that's what the Spirit of the Lord is saying at the time. But you've got to realize, the minute that you speak words, you either speak words of life or words of death. That's right. Th- those are the seeds that you're sowing. That's 
You speak them into the ears of a Christian who's young in the Lord and not able to handle it, and I want you to know, you become accountable for what happens to them. They get drifting away. Why? Well, I'm not sure that I can be there because it sounds like the people that have been there for some time are even questioning the leadership, so the leadership must be wrong. That goes on in the mind of a baby Christian. And you planted that seed. God help you. You're going to need His help. You're going to need His mercy. God wants us, as His children, to develop character. The ability to develop character is already on the inside of us. The seeds have been planted. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness, all of these things are already on the inside of each one of His children because God lives on the inside of us. We are responsible for producing the fruit. And that's the advertisement to the world. They say, they, how can you handle all that pressure? How are you able to handle it? Well, I've got a friend. I've got a relationship. Come, let me just show you how I do this. It's called divine appointment. See, the world can't get this outside of Jesus. They can go to all the Dale Carnegie courses, never get it. Outside of Jesus, you don't get this. But you've already got it when you're in Jesus. Now we've got to take it and develop it. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I appreciate you being my Holy Spirit sandpaper. Father, we want to bless you tonight for all that you've shared with us over these past weeks. Lord, give us hearts so desirous of being what you want us to be that nothing else is going to be of importance to us until we know that we're hooked in on this production line that you've got in our lives. Able to bring forth Fruit, which when the world looks at it, they know we've been with you. Fruits of righteousness that the world cannot produce. Thank you for all that you're doing. We bless you for your goodness to us individually, to our families and our homes. And Lord, we declare over this congregation the blessings of covenant that you've spoken over us. We are the head and not the tail. We're above only and not beneath. We are blessed in the basket and in the store, in the city and in the field, coming in and going out. And whatever we set our hand to prospers.